So the average person spends one-fifth of their life talking. And if all of our words were put into print, the result would be a single day's words would fill a 50-page book. And in a year's time, the average person's words would fill 132 books of 200 pages each. That's the average person. I think many of us know that we are in the above average category, and we may fill more books than that uh, in a year, or maybe books of more pages. And we're throwing so many words into the world all the time. And some of these statistics are a little bit old, actually, or well, a few years old. But uh, we are posting almost 50,000 Instagram posts uh, per minute. Uh, almost 350,000 tweets per minute, and almost 32 million Facebook messages per minute. The social universe, which is composed of every single digitally connected person, uh, doubles in size every two years, and today it's roughly 44 zettabytes, which is, if you don't know, that's 44 trillion gigabytes. And if that number is correct, this is crazy. If that number is correct, it means there are 40 times more bytes than there are observable stars in the universe. Can you believe that? There's 40 times more bytes than there are stars in the observable universe. Now, I'm bringing this up because actually since the coronavirus started, uh, or since the lockdowns have started, social media has actually gone up. You know, there are statistics showing it's up like 61% in some places, 50% in some places over our normal usage. And right now, in many ways, our words, sometimes disembodied from our voices, is all we have. It's kind of what we're using to communicate with the world. And I'll say, let me just say this, because I'm going to talk about some of the things like this uh, kind of rise in social media use, I'm going to kind of pick at some things that I've seen, particularly in the past couple weeks. But what I want to say is please don't miss the forest for the trees here. Like, just because I'm picking at certain things, I don't want you to think that I'm condemning or trying to shame or blame anybody. Like, if you've done that, I'm not thinking about anything in particular, like any one person or anything like that in particular. Um, certainly, only you can evaluate your own like what you're saying, you know, your own motivations and your own intentions. My goal today is just to get at the heart of our words. You know, to get us to pay attention to the, to the right words so that we can interpret everything that's happening with the right framework. That, that's, that's all I kind of want to do today. And the kind of the question is, how can we, in a world that is saying so much cut through the noise with a message that matters. You know, how can we, in a world that wastes so many words, say, you know, use words or have a message that means something? That's, that's what we're going to look at today. And so if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to try to just recognize a few truths from, from God's word that I hope will help form the way that we use our words. And so uh, if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to James. 
the book of James, uh, chapter 3. And we're going to read, um, we're going to pretty much get through all of chapter 3, hopefully, today. And so this is James chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this. This is God's word. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are uh, so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, rudder wherever the, the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now, um, James here, he's kind of talking about the, the power of words. And he starts off just by saying, hey, a lot of you guys uh, don't try to be teachers. You know, don't try to be out there like teaching everybody stuff. And he has some reasons uh, one was too many, and the context that he's speaking into, too many people were seeking the status of teacher without being qualified. So many people were just kind of trying to say things and trying to direct things without really having the moral or intellectual qualifications. And he's saying Christians should be careful to want to be teachers because James argues, you know that if, you're, if you want to be a teacher, you're going to be judged more strictly. And part of his reasoning is it's hard to control what you say. And if you say a lot of things, you're going to be more prone to stumble. You're going to be more prone to make mistakes. And then he explains, look how powerful words are. And he, he uses these kinds of illustrations, right? He says the bit that controls the horse, that moves the horse, that directs the horse, which is just a small thing, right, that you put in the mouth of the horse so that you can make the horse go where you want to go, where you want it to go. That's the power of speech. That is the power of the tongue, right? The rudder that steers the ship, a same, the same idea. The rudder is a small part of the ship. It's seemingly small, but it actually directs where the ship is going to go. If you don't have the rudder, you can't, you can't steer the ship. And then introducing the kind of destructive power of speech. Talking about, think about a fire. How does a fire start? With a small spark. You know, we in California, we, we know something about fires, right? We have like brush fires. And how do they start? They just start because it's a dry day. And then some sparks, you know, they spark up somewhere in the brush. And then all of a sudden, there's a huge fire. Now, the idea, simply put, is words, though seemingly small, are very powerful. They're extremely powerful. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. led a revolution in this nation in the, 50, in the 50s and 60s. And his primary weapon was words was his mouth that was the primary weapon you know times at, at times like this when we face these racial tensions i often go back to dr king and i look at some of his you know some things that are recorded his speeches things he's written 
And I, you know, I, I frequently go back to, the, to, to this, you know, and I'll read it for you. I have it right here in front of me. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a desert state sweltering with the heat of injustice and oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. And that, of course, is from his famous I Have a Dream speech, August 28, 1963. And, and often when I read that, it blows me away, one, how powerful those words are, but also just how powerful words are. That's the power of words. You know, we say, like, sticks and stones can break my bones, but, but words will never hurt me. Now, I think, but once you grow up, you realize words are way more powerful than sticks and stones. Right? Words can do all kinds of things. They can inspire us. They can uplift us. They can motivate us. They can convict us. They can move us. And we know also they can do great harm. They can convince people that they are doing good when they're doing evil. Right? Uh, uh, you know, a mass shooter or a, a suicide bomber. Right, you know what's more more destructive even than what they're doing is is what's up here because that's what's motivating them to do it. It's the words, it's the ideology, it's what they believe. Even in our personal relationships, we know that that's true, right, guys? Oftentimes, like I'll, we'll be on the basketball court, we get into a fight. I mean, you can just uh, sometimes things escalate, it gets physical. You can punch a guy in the face, and like thirty minutes later, you know, you're chilling, you're getting Gatorade, and it's all good. It's all over. And yet, sometimes you can say something to someone, and that scar will last years, decades. And in fact, James's first truth that we must know that words are powerful is immediately followed by his second truth our words are dangerous. Right, now let's read on in verse 6. It says, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And his point is our words, our words. Now, words in general are powerful. Our words are dangerous because they tend to be destructive. 
right? He this is how he characterizes these, he uses these parallel participles that express the poisonous effects of the tongue. It is staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and is itself set on fire by hell. Not only does the tongue corrupt the whole person, but it wreaks havoc throughout one's life. That's the idea that James is trying to get across. And he, uses, and he talks about hell. He says, it's set on fire by hell. That uh, word is Gehenna. You know, in the Greek, it's, it's a transliteration of a Hebrew word that basically refers to the Valley of Hinnom, where child sacrifices were performed, you know, in the Old Testament, where trash was burned. That's, that's kind of what they refer to as that. And that's the destructive power of words. Here's just some, here's some other things that the Bible has to say about words. This is from Proverbs. These are all from Proverbs. Proverbs 10.8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. This is about kind of thoughtless chattering. Proverbs 10.8. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. It's about slander. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is for a moment. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. About arrogance, boasting. Like, you can fight over one word sometimes. Have you ever done that? You can start a fight. Somebody says something to you, and you could just say, like, so. And that can, that can start a fight. And? What? Like, like that alone sometimes is enough to, to cause strife. That's how powerful, that's how destructively powerful words are. And look, we have to know words are prone to be destructive. Therefore, words are dangerous. Do you guys know, like, uh, so... There was, there's this, uh, well, there was, I guess, it's over now, this web show, right, started by John Krasinski, you know, Jim from The Office. It's called Some Good News, SGN. And it was so interesting because it's, it's, it was once we were all in lockdown and we're all stuck in our homes, right? And there's so much just negative news out there right, about the coronavirus and what's happening and, and then all these, like, it seemed like bad news on top of bad news was just coming out, economic data, and then there were these, like, racial tensions and all these kinds of things were just, we were just being reminded of just how bad things are. And then John Krasinski starts this thing, Some Good News, and you know what was crazy is it was almost jarring what a contrast there was between that just some, some dude, you know, Jim from The Office starting a channel for good news or just this YouTube thing where he's just picking stuff up. And actually what I saw from like a lot of Christians because there was so much division and strife, right? It got incredibly political, people on the left, people on the right. And these were all like, uh, that's, I expect that from the world, but from a lot of my I mean, I'll just say just Christians in general, because I would see tons of posts just everywhere. And there were just people condemning each other left and right. And why do these people care? And then why are these people protesting? And why are those people protesting? And why are these people protesting those people? Pro you know, like, what's going on? Why is, every, why is there so much hatred? Why, do churches, why aren't churches closing? Why do churches want to open? There's just criticism everywhere, left and right. 
And then George Floyd happened. This horrific tragedy. And for like a couple days, everybody was on the same page that this was horrible and it was a terrible injustice. And then, man, real quick, it just turned. It just devolved into a situation where people were trying to, like, outwoke each other. Especially, and I'll just be honest, like, especially in the Asian-American community. Because all of a sudden, Asian-Americans are just posting stuff all over the place. And I'm not even, I'm not saying that's bad. But people were just, like, turning on each other. Like, oh, well, where have you been this whole time? It was like that, and then some people post some stuff, and then there was all this correcting going on, like, oh, well, you're not supposed to post this, and you have to post that, and how can you do, and then there was a lot of calling out going on. And I'll just say, like, honestly, personally, I'll say for some of you who, who go to this church, like, I was really encouraged, you know, just to be completely frank with you. Like, I, I saw a lot of things, I think, that you guys were posting, and I was very encouraged. And I am continuously encouraged that many of you want to be, con want to grow and, and know what's going on and be educated. And I know some of you have already uh, been doing things in this space and proactively support the cause. And I'm very encouraged by that. And I think absolutely you should continue to pursue that. And I know it's very uncomfortable for many of us, but that is a good thing. And if anyone is doing that, then I'm, I'm encouraging again. I cannot, I cannot judge any per Like, I don't know anybody's heart, but you could see on the outside. And I'll just even explain something. Like, I posted something even. I posted something, and somebody actually private messaged me and kind of uh, said something about it. And I, I appreciated it very much because it was a private message and they just kind of let me know and I actually edited something that I, I, I put out. That was, that was nice. You know, when you think about it, you think, why don't people, if there's so much calling out and criticism and that's like your friend, why don't you just private message them instead of calling them out in front of everybody on social media? That seemed, that seemed interesting to me. And I've had a lot of good, actually, private conversations as well. You know, video chats and things like that about things that are going on. But you can just see how when words start coming out, they tend to go destructive. That's what, even when it starts well, even when our intentions are pure at the beginning, it's like, hey, there's something good here, and let's go with some, and then all of a sudden it just starts devolving you know, because the more words we put out without consulting God, this is what tends to happen. And you see it happen all the time. This is how relationships fall apart. This is how you don't talk to somebody for 10 years. This is how churches split. This really is how, and I, and I don't even want to, I don't even want to get into this too much, but I know both sides of many church splits. And when you get to the heart of it, you're like, that's it? That's what happened? Basically, somebody said some little thing and that blew, because it wasn't some scandal and it wasn't some kind of like embezzlement and it wasn't some kind of adultery. It was just like a, somebody said something and that was it. That little spark blew that church up. I hope you recognize, church, the destructive nature of our words. 
James 1, 19 to 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Words that are motivated by pride and guilt, words that are spoken in anger and self-righteousness, they do not. They do not lead to the things that we're seeking. Anger may compel you to kill in the name of justice, but anger will never compel you to die for the sake of justice. What James is saying is throwing your words around without thinking, without intention, it's like throwing matches in the dark, in the forest on a really dry day. You're going to start some fires. So how then can we speak words that have powerful meaning in a sea of just meaningless noise? Now, what many of us want to, to do right now, I bet you a lot of you guys are thinking like, I need to be more intentional with my words. I bet you, right? That's a, you're like, oh, am I, am I being intentional enough? Am I thinking enough about what I'm saying? And in part, sure, I'm not, that's not bad. We should definitely think before we speak. That's a good thing. But what I'll say is that's not really what's going to happen here. It's not a matter of mere effort or intentionality. Let's, let's look, let's read on here in verse 9. It says, with it, uh, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce I'm sorry, yield fresh water. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Words are powerful. Our words are dangerous. His word, his word of blessing can only come from a blessed heart. His word of blessing can only come, and I will even put it this way in light of the gospel and what it means to scripture, a gospel-transformed heart. Right now, James's point is clear here. You can't, like, whatever you say is going to come out of whatever's inside. It comes out of your heart. Right? If you, even if you start well and you want to start well, but then your words devolve down into self-righteousness, if it devolves down into anger, if it devolves down into just kind of frustration and that's where your speech is coming from, or if it devolves down into gossip and, and dissension and division and that's what you end up doing, that's what you end up sowing, because it might start pure and you're like, well, you know, I really just have these questions or I really just want to know this thing, but then what it ends up doing is you end up just slandering somebody. You end up just hurting somebody. 
And I'm not saying that sometimes that's not just a result of miscommunication because sometimes that happens too. But oftentimes, it's what's in our heart that just leaks out because we can't really control that. No one can tame the tongue. Right? And what that means is not that no one can uh, say good things. What it means is no one can in their heart have one thing and then say another thing. Because if you really believe something in your heart, no matter how much you try to control what you say, whatever's in your heart is just going to come out. Right? If it's an apple tree, you're going to get apples. If it's a lemon tree, you're going to get lemons. Whatever you plant, whatever is sown here is going to reap that fruit. That's, what, that's, that's James's point. Now, he, James certainly has in his mind the teachings of Jesus. Matthew 12, 33 says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, two things, okay? One, just clear from what we've said, words are an indication of the state of your heart. What you talk about and what you don't talk about. Right? What you feel is important enough to say and what you feel is not important enough to say. And I'm not saying you have to immediately say things when they happen, but if you do not even feel compelled to form an opinion about a certain matter, then it doesn't matter to you. If you don't feel compelled to see what Scripture has to say, to take it to God, to pray about it, to talk about it, to get more information about it, then obviously that doesn't matter to you. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes <laughs> I've had conversations sometimes where it's like, you know, what's God teaching you? What is God convicting you of? And it's like crickets. <laughs> it's just silence. And then it's like, what do you guys think of the, the NBA season starting up? And it's like everyone's got an opinion all of a sudden. What does that mean? That means what's in your heart's coming out. What you think about and what you care about is coming out of your mouth. That's what the Bible says. And if that's you, I'm not saying like, oh, that's wrong and you're evil. I'm just saying take a, take a minute to look in the mirror beyond what your face and look into your heart and say, okay, what do I really care about? And is this what I want to care about? Is this the only thing I want to care about? Is this the only thing I want to have an opinion about? And second, by implication, transformative gospel words can only come from a transformed gospel heart. Meaning, you can't force yourself to say the right things without believing the right things. Do you understand, do you understand that? Right? This is why it's not just about being intentional. You know, because if you make a mistake with your mouth, like you say something wrong, and then you think, oh, well, I should have been wiser, and what I really lack is wisdom. It's like, no, because what you're saying is coming out of what you believe. You didn't just make a mistake. Right? You are saying what you truly feel. That's what's coming out of your mouth. Right? 2 Corinthians 10. This is 2 Corinthians 10, 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments 
and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying the battle we're fighting is not on the street. It's not one with weapons. It's not one with rocks. It's not one with guns. It's not one with bombs. It's one up here, right? Like it's one in here and up here because what's up here is going to inform what's in here. And that is what changes people. That's what transforms ultimately the words that we're saying, which are going to transform other people. That's how movements start, right? Not through some kind of oppressive physical violence. It starts from here like a transformed heart. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. That grace... I was sitting on that text this week. That grace, what does that mean in light of everything happening? You know, uh, there, was a, there was a protest in Brea on Wednesday, and it was right by my house. And so I stopped by there. I went, you know, and people were protesting, and I was there, and we're chanting stuff, and I was kind of walking around. And there was this moment where they did like the Kaepernick kneel. You know, it's like people are chanting stuff, obviously. We're chanting the names and we're chanting, you know, Black Lives Matter. And then, you know, there was this kind of like this movement. Everybody all of a sudden like kneeled. And so I knelt. And for me, naturally, because I was kneeling, I started praying. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I feel compelled to pray right now. So I'm praying. And do you know what? Do you know what God I was praying in that moment. I thought about Colin Kaepernick because when Colin Kaepernick was kneeling, like when he was protesting, I wasn't against it. Do you know what I mean? Like I wasn't like, I wasn't saying like, oh, that he shouldn't kneel or anything like that. Well, like he should respect the flag. Like I didn't, I didn't say anything like that or even really think anything like that. But I did think like, I don't get it. Like just to be honest. I just thought, like, mm, I don't know how it totally makes sense. Like, that's just what I thought. I'm just confessing. That's just what I thought. And I was sitting on that a little bit, and I was praying about it, and I felt, oh, like, I felt rebuked. Like, oh, God, you know, wh where's my head at? Do I really understand this? And I was praying about it even more. I was prepping for this message. And here's what God gave me. Because I kept thinking about George Floyd and I kept thinking about Derek, you know, Chauvin and just that image, it's just burned into my mind. I've only seen the video once because I couldn't bear to watch it again. But that image is burned into my mind. And God, like I kept thinking, oh, how could he do something so terrible? And I decried the existence of this evil man. And here's what God put on my heart. He said, what do you think makes you so different from him? He said, you know, not audibly, but this is what I felt in my heart that God was saying to me. The gap between you and him, 
The gap between you and him, you think that's some big gap? Think about the gap between you and me. Like, what happened to us where we think that in this, in this situation, we are more on the side of God? Like, we are more, we are more right, like, our righteousness personally is, on the, is closer to the level of God than it is to the murderer. What makes us think that? That's what God put on my heart. Because, because, but for the grace of God, I am Derek Chauvin. Because, but for the grace of God, I'm, I'm that person. I could be any of these, I could be any of these people that, you know, we go online and I would see people posting things about like, you know, I, I talked about Isaiah 1, right, last week. You know, and some, and some people, they would take those passages of injustice in the Bible and somehow we'll read those passages about injustice and we'll put ourselves in God's seat and say, look, see, why don't you guys understand that injustice is so bad? Why don't you guys understand? When, why would we ever read the Bible and see ourselves in the position of God? That's not spoken for us so that we can claim it to other people. I'm not saying we shouldn't proclaim it. It is truth. But it is spoken to us primarily so that we will repent. We are not in the position of God in that passage. We're in the position of Israel. We're in the position of the people hearing the message, not the ones speaking the message. That's not Isaiah's word. That's God's word. What you see in the video is, is as horrific as it is, is not an especially sinful man. You see the horrific extent of sin without the grace of God. And we all could be that man but for that grace. Remember Luke 18 Luke 18, 10 to 14, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Thank you, God, that I'm not racist. Thank you, God, that I'm not like these, these evil people, these rioters or these looters. Thank you, God, that I'm not like, I would never protest out in Huntington Beach. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that. Much less, thank you, God, that I'm not like my boss. Thank you, God, that I'm not like my coworker. Thank you, God, that I'm not like my parents. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Beware, church. Beware the temptation to demonstrate your virtue through social media, through your words. Beware. Beware the deception of self-righteousness that creeps in. That when we would pray to God, we would decry evil and think it's something that exists only outside of us. And that we are so righteous, that we are so entitled to our righteous indignation without being 
repentant without thinking, but for the grace of God, that's me. See, only that is going to give you the courage to stand in the face of horrible personal offense and say to the one who is offending you, I love you. I'm going to love you, my enemy. Because that's in Scripture. No, that's not normal. That's not easy. In fact, it is completely unreasonable. And yet, that is the kind of love that we have received in Christ. That ridiculous, unreasonable love. That completely unjust love. We don't deserve that. It's ludicrous. It's outrageous. But by the grace of God, that is what we have in Christ. No matter where we find ourselves today. That's why Paul says the most important message you can hear and subsequently deliver is the gospel. The message of first importance is the message of Christ. That he came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again according to the scriptures. And he did all that for us that we might be saved. How can we use our words in light of of these truths. I'm going to give you just a few quick things. Okay, first thing. Examine your words. Examine your words as indicative of what's in your heart. Right? Examine what you find worthy to speak on. Examine what you don't find worthy to speak on. What you think that you should be silent about. And I'm not saying that we have to speak on everything all the time. That's ridiculous. You know, but just examine it prayerfully, scripturally. You know, say, is, is my, is the way that I use my words, is it truly, is it really and truly from the world's wisdom or is it really and truly from God's wisdom? You know, in fact, we'll, we'll read the rest of James. This is the end of the passage. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Right there is laid out the characteristics of using our mouths, our tongues, our words for the wisdom that is from above that's how it's characterized, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And I will say truly, I've seen these words from many of you, and I've been incredibly encouraged by them. 
Nevertheless, whatever we are speaking, it is an opportunity for us to examine our hearts, examine our words, examine our hearts by way of our words, I should say. Secondly, and I'm going to just kind of lay out some of the things that are here, uh, sow honesty with your words. Sow honesty with your words. And this is, like, rather than going to, and I hope, I hope this is really what's happening, right? Rather than going to, like, social media and, like, you know, wanting to, like, say a bunch of stuff, I really hope that what you would do instead is just go to your close friend, right? And just be like, hey, what do you think about this? And just have some conversations about it. Like, honestly. Like, hey, this is where I feel like I'm really at. This is what I think. This is where I'm at. I don't really know if this is even right, but this is, this is what I'm thinking. You know, you, we have to have that kind of uh, freedom to be wrong. And I'll tell you, social media is not the place to do that. Don't go to social media and be like just putting out some kind of like half-baked stuff. Because, and I'm just saying that not because it's morally wrong or anything. I'm just saying that for your own benefit because you're going to get killed out there. There's going to be people coming from all over the place saying all kinds of things that probably aren't even right. So just, you know, go to your community and in your life group, like in your life group, in your, in your small group community, you know, or just with your, like, don't be scared to be like, I don't really know about this and I just kind of want to talk about it. Can we just talk about this? I would like to learn. I would like to grow. So honesty, right? That veneer that's peeling off, just let that go and just, just be honest. Thirdly, so Peace. So peace. Right? We are so prone to division. There's a, a whole other thing that I've been praying about, but I feel like something God has been putting on my heart for the Asian American church is that, you know, this is one of our big, our big sins that we need to repent of. But it is this sowing of division. You know, it is this death by a thousand paper cuts that we are so prone to. Sow peace, right? Plant seeds of peace. And finally, and I'm going to keep saying this. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. Like filter everything through the gospel. Everything needs to, that Corinthians Every thought captive. Make every thought captive to Christ. Put it all through there. Like if, and, and, and I'll say seek all the information you can. You know, listen to all the stories you can. Do all of that because all of that's good. Information is great. But everything, like you cannot make any assumptions here. You got to say everything needs to be filtered through the lens of the gospel. And that is the way to really this deep, fulfilling, satisfying, meaningful Christian life filled with these powerful, transformative words that can change the world. I hope, church, church, I hope that this is, in this moment, this is what we are compelled to do. To know the power that these words hold. The power of eternal life and death for many people, including ourselves. I hope that in light of that, knowing but for the grace of God, I am the worst of sinners. 
Knowing that, we got to wake up every day just desperate like, Jesus, I need you so much to even think. Like the first thing I think is something I love about John Piper. He says, like, I wake up think, knowing I'm just such a wretched sinner and I need salvation today, again, today. Like I'm not looking back and being like, oh, yeah, remember when I did altar call back in seventh grade? It's like that's not what he thinks about salvation. That's not what we should think about salvation. We think, today, Jesus, I need your grace and your mercy and your love today. Because, church, when you do that, he's there. He's there every time. Those mercies are new every morning. That grace is there and powerful every minute, every second, every moment. Let's pursue that together. Let's pray. God, have mercy on us. We are forgiven. We know, God, that if we are in you, we are completely forgiven. We are completely wiped, God, of our sin. We are completely wiped, God, of our unrighteousness, of our guilt and our shame and our pain. And yet, God, we know that as long as we live this life, we still sin. But for the grace of God, we would be God. We are God. But for your grace, murderers, selfish, greedy, racist. But for your grace, God, we are adulterers. We are liars. We are deserving of your wrath, but for your grace. And yet, God, in your grace, we are completely free from all of that, God. Free from the judgment, from the wrath that we deserve because of Christ's righteousness. Thank you so much, God. Not that we aren't like, but that we are under your grace, your love, your mercy. I ask, God, would you redeem our words that they would be powerful? Would we recognize that they can be? I mean, even though the world wastes so many words and we hold the words of life, the words of truth, the words of eternal life, help us, God, to guard that word, to preach that word, and to every other thought that would come before us, we pray that they would all fall captive to that word, to your word. We entrust it to you, God. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.